So we want to continue on last week. Of course, our theme is true worship. Of course, we know that God is seeking such to worship him. Those He's seeking those to worship him in spirit and in truth. He's seeking such to worship him. And we have been talking about, uh, last week we talked about a wounded worshiper. Will you say that? A wounded worshiper. So I want to add part two to that subheading. So this is part two of a wounded worshiper. Spirit of the living God, we acknowledge your presence in this place. Father, I thank you for the anointing, for it is the anointing that makes the difference. Right now, I declare that every ear shall hear, every heart shall be receptive to receiving your living word. I thank you for breakthrough on today. I thank you for change on today. Let us never be the same as a result of receiving the truths of your word. Let divine revelation speak. Illuminate the scriptures to us like never before. Let us be all the better as a result of having spent this time, spending this time in your presence. Satan, we serve you. Notice you are defeated in this place. You are under my feet. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. For I am the redeemed of the Lord, purchased by the blood of Jesus. And I say, I have victory, and I have victory right now. Amen. I'll give the Lord a big vociferation, if you will. Wounded worshiper. Now, as I mentioned on last week, and I always, when I come before you, I give you a little review, then we'll pick up where we left off. But what does Holy Spirit wish to convey when I say a wounded worshiper? And if you wasn't here last week, you can write this down. We're talking about a believer, someone say a believer, who willfully chooses to harbor offenses. We're talking about individuals or believers specifically, and of course, non-believers alike. We're talking about believers who intentionally, willfully chooses to harbor offenses. And a couple of things you need to understand about offense. Offenses are going to come. We're going to see this in point number two. Offenses are going to come. And choosing to let offense take root is my choice. We don't have to let it take root. I may not can stop the thing from coming, but it's my responsibility to manage or to make sure that this thing does not take root. Why? Because it makes me bitter. It corrupts me. It deteriorates me. It causes me to suffer more so than the offender. So we're talking about those who choose, listen to this now, to remain hindered by their hurts. And again, we're not talking about people who haven't trusted the offense, trusted the hurt to God. We're talking about people who willfully, intentionally choose to hold on to things. Now, write this down in case we don't get to it. But by now, you should know through previous teachings that the Greek word uh, offense is the Greek word scandalin. And I think Tamara's going to put it up on the screen for you. And it's literally a trap stick for bait. It's the trigger of the trap is the part on the trap that ensnares its prey. Here's the Greek definition. Do you see this? A stumbling block, an offense, properly the trigger of a trap, the mechanism closing a trap down on the unsuspecting victims. And then too, in times past, I said, you know, a couple of things are needed when someone is trying to catch prey. One of, one of the things that needs to be baited then it needs to be camouflaged so you can't see the bait. And I'm saying that to say most of the time, the reason why a lot of people, Brother Jackson, get offended is because they did not see it coming. They were not suspecting this thing to happen. And most often time, our guard is down, and nothing wrong with having your guard down around people who you're comfortable with and that you know. But sometimes we put too much confidence in individuals. And we assume that she would never do such a thing. Don't fool yourself. 
we deceive ourselves by thinking he would never do such a thing. Don't fool yourself. Are you with me? Now, this is very interesting. Look at the last one. It says, uh, scandaling the, the means of st stumbling, stress the method of entrapment. Now, watch this part. That is how someone is caught by their own devices. Now, this is not me. None of this was inserted by me. Like their personal bias and corner of thinking. So that explains how Although the offense come, it's up to me whether or not I allow it to take bait. And most oftentimes, we let it take bait because of our personal biases and carnal thinking. Took it personally. Didn't allow, notice Pentecost Sunday, since we talked about Pentecost earlier, we didn't allow Holy Spirit to be our helper in this matter. Are you with me? So again, you can see now why we choose to let it take root. Be it, believe it, uh, be it because men have got personal biases or whatever. You know, that was my homeboy. That's my husband. That's my wife. You should know better. But you have to entrust the offense to God. No one's saying it's not going to feel good. No one's saying you're not going to hurt or the hurt isn't real. But if I want to heal a lot quicker... Or you heal a lot faster when you forgive quickly. Oh. Again, God is seeking true worship. All worship isn't true worship. All worship isn't worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Because you will have people who will come to the place of worship, but they will still, uh, or they will try to worship, but they know that they're holding on to Offenses. See, I'm, there's a portion of that that's restricted. Why? Because I have not released the offender. I have not released the offense. I have not given this thing to God. Now, again, let me put the definition of worship on the screen so you, you would see why we should be more readily to forgive when offense comes. Worship is the, let's read this together. Worship is the response of a grateful and humble individual to the only living God, listen to this now, where submission, sacrifice, sacrificial service, and a praise agreement, testimony, gratitude are freely expressed in innumerable ways. Submission. So a true worshiper, Sister Gilliam, will submit to the Word of God, or they will come into agreement with the word of God. Great peace have they that love your law and nothing offends them. In other words, when the offense comes because they're in agreement and submitted to the authority of the word, that offense doesn't take root. Why? Because I'm a lover of the word. And someone who's not submitted to the word is not a lover of the word of God. <clears throat> so a true worshiper, see... <laughs> God wants you whole. And we can ignore it, act like it doesn't bother us, but those things will constantly keep tripping you up until you release them. And I submit to you, everyone who came down here last week and released it, I submit you probably had a week of great sleep that you haven't had in a long time. Now, the enemy will try to get you to pick it back up, but you have to remember, no, I gave that to God. A week ago, and you would not hinder me or torture me, Satan, with that thing again. A true worshiper, say this, a true worshiper, or I would write this down, a true worshiper entrusts their all to God. See, notice, worship is the response of a grateful and humble individual to the only living God where submission, sacrificial service, praise, Agreement, testimony, and gratitude are freely expressed in innumerable ways. Sacrifice. I'm going to give this to God. I can trust him with it. Let me show you Proverbs 3, 5. See, those personal biases will get in the way if you don't trust it to Holy Spirit. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not and lean not on your own understanding. And unfortunately, sometimes we handle situations based upon maybe what we were exposed to. You curse me, I curse you. You hit me, I hit you. You, you mad at me, I'm mad at you. See, again, unconditional love seeks no response. It loves because that's what it does. It doesn't wait for who to go first. A lot of, no, no, no. If you're in any kind of relationship, you understand, when I understand agape, if I'm in agreement, man of God, I'm not going to pout until she comes to me first. I'm not going to hold back until he say something first. No, see, that's not, that's not agreement. And see, we should love others the same way that God expresses love to us. Are you here? We're going to see some things. Are you with me? So trust in the Lord with all of your, with all your heart and lean not on your own. See, that's why you need the person, presence, power, influence of Holy Spirit. Why? Because it, the logical response seems to be, it seems logical to do this. And most of the times, you know what we're going off? Our emotions, our feelings, and not allowing Holy Spirit to move. And see, in spite of how much it hurt, when you entrusted the Holy Spirit, you're saying, he can handle this a whole lot better than me. And, I, and, and understand this, and since I'm going to entrust him with it, I know he's going to heal my broken heart. Let's look at this. Psalm 147, verse 3. Well, I'm not healed yet. I submit you probably haven't given it over to God. Why? Because he heals all the brokenhearted. He heals the broken, any broken hearts in here. Don't worry, raise your hand. Just, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So you have to trust the hurt. You have to give the offense over to God. Now we said point number one was trying to worship while wounded will what? Kill your witness. Trying to worship while wounded will kill your witness. And we've seen this. Let's go back and clarify some things here in Hebrews 12, verse 40, uh, excuse me, verse 14 and 15. Now again, bear in mind that the audience that the, uh, the writer is talking to here, they, they were being persecuted because they had forsaken Judaism for Christ. And as a result, they met bitter opposition. So there was a danger or a concern that because of the opposition, they might be tempted to turn back to temple worship or the ceremonies, you know, the uh, things that were under the law of Moses. Thank you. He said it. Works or a works-based system. So the writer encourages them that Christ's priesthood is far more superior than the priest of the old covenant. You can trust his way. <laughs> his way is enough. He satisfied any righteous requirements that you had to do to be justified in his eyes. You are now justified based upon his finished work, not your work. Are you with me? But th this is a verse that's often taken out of context, and I want to reiterate this to you. Again, when something is taken out of context, it becomes a pretext, being that you have now inserted your own presumptions or your own ideologies on top of the text. So, in other words, you're making it say what you want to say and not what God intended for it to say, and that's dangerous. That's why in all of our getting, we need to get understanding. Verse 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, 
And by this, many become defiled. This is where we get point number one. Trying to worship while wounded will kill your witness. Why? Because as long as I'm holding on to that bitterness, it causes others to become defiled. Why? Because I'm defiled. In the sense of I have, I have allowed this thing to take root. In, or Let me say it this way. Since I'm toxic, I'm exposing those around me to this toxicity. So you, you have the potential now of catching what I'm dispensing. That's why you've heard it before, hurt people, hurt people. And if, if you were really my friend, you wouldn't want me hurt. And you got to remember, offended person is only concerned about, why? Because he seeks his own desire. That's Bible. I got an agenda. And I hurt anybody I can to get my way. That, that's, that's too much of a load to carry. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Here, a lot of, in, you've probably heard it before, people tell you, oh, if you're not at peace with me, or if you're, you won't see the Lord. That is not what he's talking about here. Do I have your attention now? Pastor, if you say, man, if I'm walking around, I won't see the Lord. Forgive. And, and you should pursue peace with all men. That's what you should do. But God forbid you went on to be with the Lord and, and, and there were some things that didn't get correct. You will see the Lord. I said it. You will see the Lord. So let's look at this. First, understand this, is that our holiness before God is not based on my performance. We're going to see. We said that my holiness before the Father is not based upon my performance. So we already know right here that that's what he's not talking about. In other words, and if you're not at peace, you're not holy. And since you're not holy, you're not going to see the Lord. No, let's understand this. Now, so which holiness are we to pursue? Because he said, pursue peace with all men and holiness. So last week we talked about positional holiness, practical or progressive holiness, and perfect or permanent um, holiness. Now, first of all, again, the believer becomes positionally holy at the time of his or her conversion. So at the moment you receive Christ, you are Holy, you have been set apart to God. You have been set apart, distinguished above. Are you here? Okay, now let's see this. So there's position of holiness. I get that when? The moment of your conversion. You become holy. When? The moment, watch this, and he's not going to take that away from you. That's who you are. 1 Corinthians 1, I'm telling you, religion has done a great disservice to believers. And again, what I mean by religion, man trying to justify himself before God based upon what, what, he, uh, based upon what he does. Or how he performs. That's why sometimes people are more inclined to believe a message that preaches or teaches, you know, you got to go to hell and back. And you got to go. See, they'll receive that more so because you feel like you earn something by what you've done. Rather than just receiving sincerity. If you live in agreement, perhaps you could bypass all that hell and hot water. And It's bad enough things are going to try to oppose you just because you are a believer. Are you with me? I am writing to God's church in Corinth to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you. He made you. He made you holy by means of Christ. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus. Do you see this? Just as he did for all people everywhere who 
call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, and ours. So you become holy the moment you receive Jesus as your Savior. You are positionally holy. Who sees this? Hebrews 10, 10. We, we went over this last week, but again, I wanted to reiterate it so it can cement. And in accordance with, let's read this together. And in accordance with this will of God, we who believe in the message of salvation have been sanctified. That is what? Set apart as holy for God and his purposes through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, once and for all. So if I lose it every time I fall short, then this once and for all is not once and for all. So we say this, I am holy. So by virtue of our union with Christ, we are sanctified, made holy forever. Then there is practical or progressive sanctification of holiness. This is what we should be doing when? Every day. Living a life that's set apart, that's distinguished above that old life that we used to live before Christ because there should be a distinction. That's why it kills our witness when we shout, I'm a believer, but there's no distinction. So practical or progressive holiness, this is what we should be doing day by day. In other words, we should be separating ourselves from anyone or anything that prevents us from growing more and more like Christ. So if being around him or if being around her or being over here or being over there prevents me from growing and looking more and more like Christ, I need to sanctify myself from that. I need to set myself apart from those environments. Are you with me? First Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 5. Again, we went over this last week, but the inference here is a plea for purity. And I just wanted to show you what Paul is saying here. Verses 3 and 4 and 5, I guess. For this is the will of God, that your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, not just sexual, but any other thing that will keep you from growing and looking more and more like Christ. Because we would do all the others but this one. Okay? So the inference here is a plea for purity. Verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel. And see, you should know how to possess your own vessel in being distinguished and honor. Not in the passion of lust like who? The Gentiles who do not know God. So people who do not know God don't live lives sanctified or separated are distinguished above the Gentiles. It's no holes barred. Anything goes. That shouldn't be the life or the mindset nor the character of the believer. Then finally, we said there is complete or perfect holiness. This takes place when a believer, what, goes to heaven. You'll be sanctified completely forever for all time. No more affected with or having to worry about being in toxic environments. This this takes place or complete or perfect sanctification takes place when a believer goes to heaven. He's forever free from sin. And what I mean by sin, being exposed to uh, uh, falling short and and, uh, doing those things that are incongruent with the Word of God. Are you with me? So at that moment, his state is perfectly, or his state perfectly corresponds with his standing. Why? Because even though you are delivered from sin, you're still in in a system or a world system that has been tainted with that sin nature. Are you with me? So having looked at positional holiness, Having looked at practical holiness and understanding perfect or complete holiness, which holiness are we to pursue? Notice he said pursue 
holiness, right? Which one are we to pursue? So obviously, it's practical sanctification and holiness that's in view here. Why? Because we do not strive after positional holiness. Because we get that at the moment of conversion. That's ours automatically. And we do not strive after perfect sanctification. Why? That would be yours when you meet Christ face to face. So here he's talking about practical holiness or progressive holiness. See, that's something that involves our obedience and cooperation every day. See, we, we have to cultivate this kind of holiness daily. Well, I want to look more and more like Christ. So in context, guys, the exhortation here, not only then he was talking to born-again Jews, but he's talking to you and I today. So again, he's talking to those who have left the temple of works, which was a, a, a works-based system, to live for Jesus and to cling tenaciously to their newfound faith. So, and here's what he was saying. He was, he was warning them that when you don't or when you hold these things or when you allow these things to cause various offenses, not only do you get out of peace with men, but, but it, 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 it's like you are now displaying a hypocritical Christian life. And when you do that, you would turn people away. People who were possibly contemplating becoming a believer would now turn away because the hypocritical lifestyle. In the hypocrite, in the original Greek, it literally means an actor under an assumed character. In other words, you, you, you're, you're, you say you're this, but you're really just an actor under an assumed character. So you're not really who you say you are. So these Jews are warned that a hypocritical Christian life will cause unsaved Jews to be turned away. In other words, it kills their witness. So this verse, so one circle, verse 14, speaks of our witness before men in this life. As we abide in Jesus, others can see Jesus in us. So that's what he's talking about. So go, go, to verse, go back to verse 14. So without practical or progressive sanctification, others would not see God in us. That's what he's saying in verse 14. So when he said, let's look at it. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without no one will see the Lord. So where it says without no one will see the Lord, he's talking about progressive holiness. So without progressive holiness, others will not see the Lord in you. That's what he means. Not won't see the Lord when they pass on. No, they won't see the Lord in you. Wait, look at verse first. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. And we know, according to, to uh, Galatians 5.4, that we fall short of grace when we try to do something out of our own effort. And watch this, if I'm leaning to my own, unto my own understanding, I'm trying to do it. See, I fall short of grace. Why? Because I'm trying to do something that I am not capable of doing. Are you with me? Are you here? Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause, see, uh, cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. And let me tell you something. If you ever seen something beginning to rot, it keeps rotting until it rots away. You missed that. It keeps rotting, man of God, until it rots away. And anything close to it, it rots it also. Buy a bag of apples. Let them sit there for a minute. You got one apple that, if not removed, will rot that whole environment. 
So we got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and know how to recognize bitter saints. Saints who are wounded and choose not to release offenses. Watch this. Because rest assured, if they're bitter and you remain in that environment, you too will become bitter. That's about, where did you get that preacher? Right there in verse 15. Lest the root of bitterness spring up cause trouble. And by this many, why? Because of your bitterness. Man, let me tell you something. It's nothing like becoming a bitter person as a result of another person's bitterness. You don't even know Earl. And here you become bitter because he or she had an issue with Earl, and now you have vexed yourself because you hate Earl, and Earl has not done one thing to you. Make it more home. Bring it home a little bit. Same thing in church. Pastor, and I'm going to use me as an example because I don't want to use you because I don't want you to get offended. <laughs> or take that offense. Pastor rebuke. This is an example now. Pastor rebuke your husband. Not you now. Husband was wrong in every sense of the matter. So husband come home and vents his frustration and how he didn't. And we, we don't, I don't want to go back to Peter. We already seen how we should treat those who may not be so nice to us all the time. Okay? So now, Mama, Johnny, Susie, the dog, the cat. See, in other, that's an example of how, because of your trouble. See, it's a sign of immaturity. Because any mature saint that's living in agreement, honey, well, listen, have you prayed to the Holy Spirit about it? Did you look at the situation? Matter of fact, it, it, even if he was hard, what are you supposed to do? What does the word tell me? See, that's, what, that's maturity. And again, it's for you. The, the releasing it is for you because if I don't release it, release it I'm, I'm only going to become that much more bitter. Did you hear me? If you don't stop it, if I don't get the bad out, it will, it will cause whatever's in the bag back to the apples. To spoil. Are you here? It will rotten everything. So it's same thing. You ever had a tooth that wasn't given attention to? And it started that decaying process? Well, two years in, was it bad or worse? Huh? So I guess nobody never had a situation like that. Well, since no one ever had a bad tooth, thank God, keep it that way. Anybody ever had rotten, a bad, had, had fruit that rot? Okay. And what happened if you didn't get to the whole bag or get to the, you, literally, all because of one? So how, how can I assume that by ignoring it, I'm going to get better? No, you only get that much more bitter. And you be, now you start to defile those around you. And now, those you're trying to witness to are even those that you don't even know you're witnessing to. Can't see God in you. So you want to get rid of the bitterness. It's a particular poison that starts when we cling to anger and resentment and we start holding the grudge. And by clinging to it, we refuse to let Jesus be the judge. And in seeking, and in seeking to punish others, we mainly punish ourselves. The 
That's why you might see the person and it just you get that much more livid. Why? Because you 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 hold it. You the one, and they smile and greet and as most say, going on about their best life, and 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 you. I mean, you just ugh. See, you haven't let it go. You haven't trusted to God who judges fairly. And from that root of bitterness, anger springs up, wrath, hatred, envy, jealousy. That's why people, they, they begin to malign you. That's why people talk hateful and, and, and speak harmful untruths and evil of you. Because of the, the bitterness. It's almost like if, if nobody happy, no, if I'm not happy, nobody else is going to be happy. Are you here? Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. Looking unto Jesus. Listen, by focusing on offense, we have endured. We cannot focus on the race set before us, which is the reward of, of pleasing God in, his, in the sense of living in agreement with him. It's not a good reflection when I'm, not, when I'm living in such a way that people cannot see God in me. And I submit to you, that's probably when they need to see him most. When you've been offended and you can take a licking and keep on ticking. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat, sat down at the right hand of, of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility against sinners. Excuse me. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. How did, see, well, how do I deal with this, Pastor? How did Jesus handle this? Why would you say that? Consider him. Take note of how he did it. What, you know, some years ago, everybody had, what would Jesus do, bro? And I think people forgot they had him on because a lot, we're not doing anything close to what Jesus would do. No, what would John do? They were doing what John would do. John was acting in the flesh, whoever John is. <laughs> Are you with me? Bitterness among believers, listen to this, will defile their ability to run the race. It causes trouble leading us to come short of the grace of God. In other words, you are saying that you will handle it your way and not God's way. And as we said last week, the key to fighting bitterness is forgiving, forgiveness. The key to fighting bitterness is learning how to forgive. I say it again. The, what's the key? The key to fighting bitterness is learning how to forgive. Now, I said this on last week, and I want to show you, I want to clarify this, and we get to a place, I guess we'll get to point number two next week. But number one, we know already that, what's point number one? <laughs> Let's say it strong, I don't think, did you all write it down? Trying to worship God while wounded will kill your witness. Again, we're talking about people who choose to hold offenses. So point number one is what? Will kill your witness. So the key to combating bitterness is what? Forgiveness. It's what? So if I want to get over this thing expeditiously or in a much faster manner, I need to learn how to Forgive, and forgive quickly. And I said this last week. Said it again this week. God is not withholding forgiveness from you. I see. Oh, well, in Luke 24, the Bible said, well, we, we, we. 
stay put for a minute. Matthew 5, Bob said, if I don't forgive me in that trespass, we're going to look at this. Because if God is waiting on you to forgive, he has now become a conditional God. His love is no longer, he is the embodiment of agape. Agape is unconditional. Again, that's what it does, Brother Rudolph. It loves. It seeks no response. In other words, he, he loves you whether you are good to him or not. He loves you whether you obey him or not. So he's not withholding forgiveness from you. Hold on, let me clarify that. Forgive, though. And the reason why I say this is because there have been many people on, on their deathbed, God forbid, who some preacher probably told them that they're not going to make it in. Get it out. So see what you, it's good. I mean, it's good to get it out, but if they haven't gotten it out by then, maybe it was, maybe they just, I don't know. I mean, I pray that they get it out, son, but if, 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 if you at that point, if you, if, you, if you can see the light and haven't forgiven it, you just have to, Lord, I just have to deal with this when I see you. <laughs> get it out. Am I saying don't forgive? Forgive for you. I'm saying God is not waiting on you. He's not waiting to forgive you. Until you forgive someone else. So let's look at what the Word of God says. Let's go to a very familiar passage that many of you, in general, like to run to. <laughs> Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Forgive. Forgive. Nobody in here, even for those who watch it, and for those of you who are watching, you got to remember, especially on any of these social outlets, you're only getting an excerpt of a 45, 50-minute message. So before you whatever, listen to the whole message. Hold on, and I'm not, I don't mean that in an aggregate manner because anything I'm teaching you, it's, I've studied to show myself approved unto God. I'm not getting up here giving you something I Googled or heard somebody else say. It's the Word of God rightly divided. So, so, so I've already included, it, I've already factored in any naysayers. So I, I'm going to have a rebuttal if you say something sideways or crazy based upon something that I know is true relative to the Word of God. Are you here? And, 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 and really... And, and, and my son is over there, and, and, and he does an excellent job. But every now and again, because I'm training him, Papa, Papa Bear has to get in and say, now look. <laughs> Which I don't do that often because, listen, man, it, 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 it'll never end, man of God. It'll never end. So some things just better. What do they say? Uh, what's understood don't have to be explained. <laughs> Okay, so, so now, now let's look at this. For if, if you forgive men, their trespasses, here we go. Some of y'all can get free today. For if you forgive men, their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't, forgive men their trespasses. And this is what we get, well, not me, but a lot of people get it from. Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, should we forgive others? Absolutely. Should we forgive others? Absolutely. But you need to understand this, beloved. God is not withholding forgiveness from you until you forgive others. Please forgive for your sake. Now, in context, you got to remember, Jesus was preaching law to those who lived under the law. He was preaching 
law to those that were, you never lived under the law. We are under a better covenant. Let me show you something. I'm, as a matter of fact, Jesus was the greatest law preacher of all time. Now, he preached law so that the self-righteous would see their need for God's grace. Look, Matthew 5, 17, 18, let me show you something. Don't think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to, what did he come to do? To fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. But he came to fulfill it. So the old law-keeping covenant has been done away with. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled it. Let me show you. Romans 10, 4. Instead of being yoked up, forgive now. I'm, I'm just, don't think, see, because the, the, the devil can use somebody to get that to you and you done got out of agreement with God thinking that you're no longer holy. You're not going to heaven because you didn't get the Earl before Earl went on to be with the Lord. It, it sounds comical. But there are people out there dealing with situations like this. Does God want us to forgive? Absolutely. I'm just showing you that he's not withholding forgiving you until you forgive. But you, you should forgive. Why? Because when you don't, people can't see God in you. Christ. Christ ended the law so that everyone who believes in him might is made right with God. So how are you made right with God? Not by keeping the law. Are you here? Again. <laughs> you had the ceremonial laws, civil laws, moral laws. Okay? That was the system that the writer was talking about in Hebrews that they left. The moral law consisted of like the don't kill, don't steal, don't bear false witness against your name, all those things. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't do those things. But here's the thing. In not keeping those things, or excuse me, in keeping those things, they are insufficient to make you right before God. That's not a covenant that you were not born under. Don't do those things. But just because you don't do them, that's not what makes you right. What made you right was what Jesus did. Are you here? Listen, Christ ended the law so that everyone who believes in him is made right with God. Someone say, I am under a better covenant. Hebrews 8, 6. Let me show you something real quick. So you got to remember, one of the key components in when you're trying to exegete a particular text, is understanding the history. The times. The people. He was talking to people that were still under the law. They were what? That's why he was trying to show them it's in this, it, you know, he's in Matthew 6, he's preaching on what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Look, look in chapter 5, he, you, know, he, you know, he says something like, you know, I know what's been said. See, because on the law, eye for an eye. You do this to me, I do that. Kids being stoned for disrespecting the parents. I know it's been said, take a rock. <laughs> but, but my point is this. He, he, he was trying to show them how you need God's grace. Let me show you something real quick. That's another message, man. But as, as it is, Christ has acquired. We, see, now we're back in Hebrews, back to what we said earlier, that one of the things that the writer was conveying is that Christ's priesthood is far more superior than angels, than the priestly uh, uh, than a Levitical priesthood. Are you here? The law of Moses. But as it is, Christ has acquired 
acquired a priestly ministry which is more excellent. Someone say more excellent than the old Levitical ministry. For the, he is the mediator, arbiter of a better covenant. So you are under a better covenant, uniting God and man, which has been enacted and rest on better promises. Do y'all see this? Do y'all see this? Let me show you something real quickly. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. I want to show you something. You were, see, see, now Paul is talking to those of Colossians. He, again, of course, we're born spiritually dead, but he's talking. The audience that he's talking to, you got to remember that people who Paul ministered to, some were under the law. That's why when they were converting over to Christianity, they were meeting great opposition. So he was ministering to people, man of God, that was still here when Jesus walked there. Man, man the Bible is a See, it is a beautiful story. Great book to read. If you, that's why you have to rightly divide. Let me show you something. Watch this. Matter of fact, let me go to 1 Corinthians 15.6 real quick. Let me, let me prove to you what I just said. 1 Corinthians 15.6, just to show you something before we go to that next verse. 6. Oh, after he was, we're talking about the resurrection of Christ. After that, he was what? Seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. So there were some still alive. Are you with me? Paul Moses said, Paul, I got to go do this. Now let's go back to Colossians 2. Then he said, you were spiritually dead because of your sins and because you were not free from the power of your sinful self. Do y'all see this? But God gave you new life together with who? Christ. In other words, he said, listen, Christ has came. He came, died, rose again. He was seen, ascended. He's seated at the right hand. Look, he, he has already come. Are you here? But God gave you new life together with Christ. He forgave all our sins. Verse 14, because we broke God's laws, we owed a debt, a debt that listed all the rules we failed to follow. But forgive us our debts as we forgive our... See, see let, let, let me show you something. But God forgave us of that debt. He took it away and nailed it to the cross. Listen, Christ's ministry, we are under that more excellent ministry. This means that the present day ministry, no, this means that his present day ministry, excuse me, is not only different from the earthly ministry of the Old Testament priesthood, it is also different from the one he performed on the earth during his ministry, recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So what we have is different than what they had. We're under that more excellent ministry. That's why it's vitally important that the modern-day church understands which covenant they are under. And what happens most often time, they give us, they're mixing the old with the new and not making a distinction. And they're mixing law and grace. See, we're under a more excellent ministry Sister, more than Matthew's gospel. Thank God for Matthew's gospel. Are you here? Hebrews 11, let me show you. 
3940. Anybody getting anything? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, listen, the only reason why I'm taking this extra time, I know most of you or many of you are off tomorrow, so I know you got a little extra time. <laughs> Amen. And all these, talking about the patriarchs of old, though they gained divine approval through their faith, did not receive fulfillment of what was promised. So they received promises, but not the fulfillment being talking about Christ. So there were promises that the old people in the Old Covenant received, but the promise of reference here was Jesus. Many of them didn't. Are you here? Verse 40, because God had us in mind and had something better for us. That, that better part for us was Jesus, so that they, these men and women of authentic faith, would not be made perfect, that is, completed in him apart from us. So in other words, what they believed in, daughter, by us living in the reality of it, gives them that greater hope that, that see, they believed in the Messiah that was to come. Our faith is a Messiah that came. And since he came, that brings validity to the one that they was hoping to come. So we all in it together. Why? Because we're part of the Christ that came. Are you here? And I wanted to go there to show you that we are under that better covenant. And the truth is, beloved, you cannot earn God's forgiveness. Oh, you missed that. You cannot earn God's forgiveness. The measure of forgiveness we need is infinitively greater than any forgiveness we could show to others. Do y'all hear what I just said? See, then too, that's a hefty price tag. If you don't forgive others, God didn't forgive you. Man, that, that's, that's too much. Of, watch this. But on the cross, he paid that price on our behalf. Oh, y'all missed that. On the cross, he paid that price on our behalf. The very condition for forgiveness that Jesus preached on the mountain, he fulfilled on the cross. Y'all, did you hear what I just said? The very condition for forgiveness that we seen in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Say it again, daughter. He fulfilled on the cross. So what is Jesus saying here? And I'm going to close. He was not teaching that believers earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. For this would be contrary to God's amazing free grace and mercy. The point here is this. If we have truly experienced God's forgiveness, then we should have a readiness to forgive others. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. So for, for the believer... Then too, you notice in weeks past we talked about fellowship and relationship. A lot of people have relationship with the Father, but they have fallen out of fellowship. Fellowship, again, goes back to that uh, practical, what you do every day, what you're doing now. For the believer, forgiveness belongs to the matter of fellowship with our Father. How he responds, listen to this, same thing what the writer was saying uh, to those, uh, to the audience uh, in Hebrews, how we respond to others in times of difficulties where forgiveness is a concern is a reflection of our fellowship with the Father. You notice earlier I said we need it most when you are offended. That's when we really need to see Christ on display. Hence, forgiving others demonstrates that we have entrusted, listen to this, the offense to God who judges fairly. So when we forgive, we're saying, I'm not, I'm not reprieving you from it. I'm not saying you're not guilty. I'm saying I'm giving it over to the one who judges fairly because he can handle this a whole lot better than I can. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23, and that'll be our stopping point. Are you here? Should you forgive? 
So if you don't forgive the others that trespasses, or God won't forgive you your trespasses, Christ dealt with that on the cross. And now, since he's forgiven you, it's only fair and right for you to forgive. See? He, he's not saying, well, since, what kind of God would that be? It probably wouldn't be nobody seeing the Lord if that was the case. If his love was conditional, we would be in a mess. Thank God his love is not conditional. For as a believer, you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ suffered for you, leaving you, see, looking unto Jesus. Christ, since he suffered for you and leaving you, and who's our example, guys? Christ. That's why we should only follow those who follow Christ. So that you may follow his footsteps. Verse 2, he committed no sin, nor was deceit ever. Oh, see, listen. Offense, the Greek word scandalin, from, from which we get the English word scandalize. So the first thing we know, the first sign you can uh, identify and uh, offend a person is they're slanderous. But here we see Jesus. If I follow his example, there was no deceit found in his mouth. Do y'all see this? <laughs> Verse 23. While having been reviled and insulted, anybody ever been insulted? How did you respond? Did you remember Jesus? N nobody's saying it's not going to be a work. I'm growing and you growing. If this message has been a blessing to you and you would like to make a donation and support this ministry as we expand the kingdom of God, please visit ShekinahGloryFC.com or download our church app from iTunes App Store or Google Play by searching Shekinah Glory FC and click Give to make your donation.